0: So I want, to, um, I want to share with you something that I've felt God has um, been speaking to me for quite a while, I'll be honest with you. Probably as we started to come out of lockdown and started to come back into church, I just felt an impression from God that he was saying something to me and something to us as a church. But I also felt this challenge from God to delay. Sometimes uh, it's easy to preach about something too early. And sometimes God wants specifically leaders and preachers to inhabit the word, so it becomes part of who you are, not just some sort of head knowledge. So sometimes, you know, God might give you revelation. And knowing the right time to share it is the other challenge. And so I felt, um, I felt for a while now about sharing this. And I wanted to let it apply into my life first. And it's, it's this thing which I call the, maybe the secret sauce, or what do I call it, the essential ingredient. It's this essential ingredient for you and for me and for us as a church that I believe God wants to speak to us about. Has anyone watched the TV program Snack Masters? So, Snack Masters is a program where they take top chefs, like in Michelin restaurants, and then they give them takeaway food that they have to replicate. So, they have two, two chefs and they'll deliver to them like a Domino's pizza. And then these celebrity chefs, these, these um, top chefs, have got to recreate the Domino's pizza, and they've got to give it to the people who make Domino's, like the company, and their head testers taste it to see. But they don't have any... Oh, my throat, really. Oh, I really sung too much, this one. They don't have any, you know, any recipe. So they're trying to use their palate to taste, you know, kind of this takeaway. And, and the one I really remember was they had Kentucky Fried Chicken. right? Well, like the Colonel's secret recipe for Kentucky Fried Chicken. And they're trying to work out all the different little flavours that goes in the Colonel's secret like flavoring that goes on there anyway I like the TV program but it's you know they were intrigued as to kind of what is this secret ingredient what's this special thing that makes Kentucky fried chicken Kentucky fried chicken you know it's not the same as Morley's chicken is it Dave right you've tried Morley's chicken right it's not the same right Kentucky fried chicken's got the colonel's secret recipe and I felt about that this morning that you know as we returned to meeting together I felt God was speaking to me about there is an essential ingredient that's needed in our gathering, in my life, in your life, and, and I wanted to not only inhabit this but also I felt God saying that you don't want me to preach too early about it until we started to see and observe and experience this essential ingredient so then we could step into it more. And so as I think, I don't know about you, I feel like since Christmas, even though we came back into the building as a church like in September, October, wasn't it, right? I feel like kind of coming out of Christmas, I feel like, you know, we've got some hope of normality appearing, praise God, and some sense of settling back into what are the new rhythms of life. And so in that, I wanted us to really focus on what we must not miss out in our lives and what we must not miss out in our church and I really do believe this is essential. You know, I felt about it initially for the church, but as I waited on God, I'm like, this is so essential for us as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus. For you to be all that God has called you to be, to do all that God has called you, for us to be all that God has called us to be, we need this essential ingredient. And this essential ingredient is nothing, you know, that secret, really. It's what I would call the presence of God. Without the presence of God, we are lost. You know, it's the vital ingredient. You, you as a believer, without the presence of God in your life, you are a religious person. The world will see you as a religious person. You know, just someone who's got some Christian faith thing, some religion. The, the in, essential ingredient of God's presence makes all the difference. And, you know, for us as a church, in any church, not just our church, but any church, without it, it really inhabiting the presence of God, it's just a great social club. It might be a lovely social club. It might do a lot of good in the, in the community, but it's not a church without the presence of God. And I started to think about what, what, what happens when we don't have the presence of God. Without the presence of God in our lives, I think we stumble and we struggle and we strive and we stand still. I was amazed to find forsters. But, you know, we struggle. You know, without the presence of God, we we struggle without his guidance, without his leading and guiding for our lives. And we stumble without that. We have this striving without his power working in our lives. And we stand still without his leading and direction. This is what the presence of God brings to the individual's and to churches and so I want to speak about this essential ingredient of the the presence of God and I want to do it through the story in Exodus 33 and so we're going to read Exodus 33 if you've got your Bibles you might want to turn there I'm going to put it up on the screen as well and it's the whole chapter so if you struggle with long readings hang in there you know if it's easier for you to read along then do that if it's easier for you to listen I want to read the whole of Exodus 33. It's not a massively long chapter, but it's more than a couple of verses. So you're going to have to hang in there as we read Exodus 33. The book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, comes after Genesis. We are just in the point where Moses has led the children of Israel out of captivity, out of Egypt, into the wilderness, heading towards the Promised Land. We're in that period of 40 years, right at the beginning of it, actually. And this is what we read in Exodus 33, all the way through the chapter and I'm reading from the New Living. It says, the Lord said to Moses, get going, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I'll give this land to your descendants, and I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you. For you're a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewellery and fine clothes. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you're a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. Remove your jewellery and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. So from the time they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites wore no more jewellery or fine clothes. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request to the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tents. They'd all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterwards, Moses would return to the camp. But the young man who assisted him, the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. One day Moses said to the Lord, "You have been telling me take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you'll send with me. You've told me I know you by name and I look favourably on you. If it's true that you look favourably on me, let me know your ways, so I may understand you more fully, and continue." to enjoy your favor and remember that this is the nation your very own people the Lord replied I will personally go with you Moses and I'll give you rest everything will be fine for you then Moses said if you don't personally go with us don't make us leave this place how will anyone know you look favorably on me on me and you on your people if you don't go with us for your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked for, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and I'll call out my name Yahweh before you. For I'll show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and let you see me from behind. But my face you will not see. Before we use this story to look into this thing about, I'm talking about the presence of God, this essential ingredient, I want to get some of our language clear, so we're all talking about the same thing, we understand what I'm I'm trying to get at here. Because it's really important that you understand the difference between two words, omnipresence and presence. So omnipresence is the fact that God is everywhere. The psalmist speaks about this in Psalm 139. He says, where can I go? Where can I escape from you, God? There's nowhere I can go. If I go up to the heights, you're there. If I go to the depths of the grave, you're there. He recognized that God is everywhere. Wow. And stop. Um, So there's this thing, God's omnipresence. God is everywhere. You're not going to get somewhere where God isn't. Some little hole somewhere where he doesn't see you. He is everywhere. That is what we call this: omnipresence. But then there's also a thing called his presence. It's like his glory, it's where his power is displayed. It's like a special, exceptional way that God makes more of himself known in a particular place, time, location, for a particular people. And it's a place where God's glory dwells, where his face is seen, where his, he shines. And so today I I'm, I'm, want to talk about that second one God's presence. You know, when Moses says to them, unless you go with us, he's not denying the fact that God will be in the promised land. He's not somehow assuming that God won't be there. He's saying, you need to be with us in this power, in this presence, in this glorious way. They have this pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud that show God's presence. He's like, if you don't do that, God, if you don't come with us, if I don't have your presence, then we are missing the essential ingredient. And so I'm not denying the fact that you're never going to get away from God. But I am looking and saying there's something about this glorious presence, this revelation of who God is. And so I want to take this passage in Exodus 33 and use three different lenses to kind of look at it through three different kind of parts, three different perspectives. And the first perspective is that we need the presence of God. We need the presence of God, right? We see it in Moses' life. Let me read to you verses 1 to 3 And verse 15, it says this. Well, that's a bit small, but I'll read it here, right? It says, the Lord said to Moses, get going, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I will give this land to your descendants and I'll send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you. This is the important thing. God's saying, go into the promise that I've given you but I won't be there. My glorious presence will not be going with you. And he says, for you're a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. We pick it up in verse 15, where Moses comes back to this conversation. It's almost like he's been waiting for the right time to talk to God about it and says, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Don't tell us to go into the promised land if you're not going to personally go with us. Because Moses recognizes we need your presence, God. Not just Moses is saying, not just I need it. We, the people who are traveling, need it. He says, how will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence amongst us sets us apart from all the other peoples on the earth. You know, this people of God... These children of Israel, they they had a promised land. Way, way back with Abraham, they had a promised land that was promised to them. And when they're in this point, where we read at the beginning of Exodus three, God's sending them into the promise. He's like, I've got a promised land for you. Get going. Moses, take the people into the promise I have for you. God had already set them free from Egypt, from their captivity, from their slave owners. He'd already set them free and told them to go take the land. And, and you can read that. Like, this is God's command. God is saying to Moses, get up, get going, get going into the promise. land. don't stay here. Move on. But funny enough, it wasn't enough. His promise isn't enough. We need his presence too. Moses acknowledges this. And I don't think God doesn't know this either. You see this a lot with the, the exchange between God and Moses. God almost says stuff to test Moses. And then Moses says stuff to God and says, yeah, you're right. It's not that God is educating, it's not that Moses is educating God. But it's like God is putting out there, there's a promise for you, Moses. And Moses says, yeah, I know about the promise, but without your presence, what's it worth? What's it worth going into the promised land if no one's going to see that you're our saviour? What's it worth if no one's going to see that your presence is with us? And for you and I, God may have promised you something, and he has. You know, if you've got a prophecy or a promise that you believe God's given to you, that is great. But it's not enough. You need the presence too. Often we cling to the promises of God. We might read a scripture and we cling to it. But I want to tell you, like Moses, have the awareness to go, the promise and the presence are meant to go together. And you know, I think about it for me, right, personally applying this to me, I was thinking about this word. I'm thinking, you know, I really do believe that God has called me to lead this church. It's just, you know, for this season, who knows how long till, but, you know, I really, right now, I'm meant to be leading this church. I believe God, you know, I don't mean in an arrogant way, but you have got the pastor that God called you to have right now, just as he did before and before, right? But without God's presence, it's a waste of time, you know, right? You can have the right person and the promise and everything, but without the presence of God, we're wasting our time. I'm wasting my time. And you may believe that you've been called to this church. I believe you have, right? This is where you're meant to be. But it, if you don't have the presence of God, you're not going to get, you're not going to receive. You're, you're going to turn up at church every week and go, what was that about? Because we're meant to have the presence of God inhabiting within us. And this community, I believe that, that we've been called to this community and we haven't decorated the walls yet. The mission statement that used to be out there, we'll, we'll get the mission statement back up. You know, we're called to impact this community with the love of God. That, that's not just a calling. It's a promise that God said, I've put you here to impact them. But without God's presence, it's empty. It's like them going into the promised land without God's presence. They're like, it's not going to, we're not going to work, God. It's not, we're not going to accomplish. And, and you might be in a workplace. Do you think God has called me to this place? or in a a particular street, or a community, or in a friendship group, and you go, I know I've been placed by God just to be in this place. Without the presence of God, you're not going to achieve what God's called you to do. We can be in the right place, the right person in the right place, at the right time, without the presence of God, it's not enough. This, This presence of God is the essential ingredient, absolutely essential. What does he say here? He says, how will anyone know, how will anyone know, how will anyone know that God is living in your heart unless his presence is going with you? For your presence amongst us sets your people apart from all the other people on the earth. Paul, when he talks about this, uses a very different analogy, he talks about the aroma of Christ. He talks about us being so much in God's presence that people can almost smell the aroma of Christ. He talks about this aroma of Christ. And he says, you know, when you are the aroma of Christ, he says you're meant to take that that aroma of Christ to the lost and to the saved. You're meant to be here in the gathering of believers, bringing the presence of God. But you're also meant to be out there with those who don't know him, bringing the presence of God. And he says, you know what? People know it. He says to some, it's like the stench of death. To some, it's the hope of life. And what I I was thinking about is how is the aroma of Christ the stench of death? And, you know, one of the things I think it speaks of is you and I live a sacrificed life. We live a life completely laid down to Christ. We live a life where we want to turn from our sins and we want to confess them to God and we want to lay our lives. We don't live for ourselves. And when you stand amongst people who don't live that way, you're like a killjoy, you want to be telling them to not have fun or whatever, but that you are a stench of what it means to lay your life on the altar. Because the world's rhythm is live for yourself. We spoke about this the other week. And so Paul's got this language about the aroma of Christ. But either way, whether you are this aroma of death or of life, the, the, the intention is that we're so saturated in this presence of God. And so, you know, the first thing for us to see, just in Moses, Moses grabs this so strong. He's like, "We're not going anywhere, God, without you. Unless you go with us, how's anyone going to know?" And I want you, us to grasp this bit. That's like, we've got to put that importance up there. That's like, it doesn't matter what you've called me to do, God. It doesn't call me who, matter who you've called me to be, or the places you've called me to go to, or the struggles I'm going to face, or the people I'm going to be around. Unless your presence is with me, it's wasted. That that absolute importance. Moses is, is seeing it important enough that he's going to argue with God about it. It's pretty bold, isn't it? I mean, you know, imagine you meet with God and God says, Right, go, and you go, Oh dear, I've got to tell God I'm not going because it's pre-. you know, it's like you've got to be pretty based like this is important enough that I'm gonna face the potential challenge of challenging God. So this presence is essential. But the second thing I want to see in this lens of this is that you can miss out on God's presence. This is the other kind of side to this story, really. This is a story of God's people. This is, the, this is God's chosen people. He's given this promise. He's set them free. You know, people called by God, rescued by God. He's protected them. He's providing for them manna and food. He, he's providing for them. He's protecting them from their enemies. All these things God is doing for this people... But they don't experience God's presence. In fact, God says, if I get too close to you, I want to kill you. It's pretty strong words, isn't it, right? God's saying, and I'm not getting together with you, Moses, but if I get too close to this other lot, I might end up killing them. This is a, an old covenant story. You know, in the book of Exodus, we're in the Old Testament, we're before Jesus. The great thing about the Old Covenant, the, the, the Old Testament, is so many times what we read is like a pointer to the world that we live in. We don't live in the, the day and age that the children of Israel did. We live, in, we live in the light of the cross. But we get to see images in the way that God operated in the Old Testament in our day and age. And so there's a lot that's happening here that's pointing to the, the day and age that we live in. We live in this age that Jesus began when he came to earth, died on the cross and was rose from the dead. And this thing about Moses is like this picture of Jesus. Moses is standing in the gap for the people that God says he wants to kill. And Moses is mediating for them. And in fact, Moses' actions protect them from the wrath of God. It's like this image of Jesus standing in the gap for us, taking the punishment upon him that we should receive. Moses doing the same. He's putting his neck on the line to stand in protection for people who, who deserve death, right? I mean, you read Exodus 33, just go back a couple of chapters. This is just after the bit where they, you know, the, the bit where they um, throw their jewelry into the fire and then they cast this garden, golden calf and then they bow down to it and then Moses up the hill and he comes back down. He says, what are they doing? And Aaron says, oh, just threw the gold in the fire and out popped this, you know, right? This is the people who like, oh, well, I don't know where Moses is. We might have been saved through the Red Sea, but now we need some idols to bow down to. This is the people that God's talking about. They deserve God's punishment. But Moses is standing in the gap like Jesus stands in the gap and says, no, 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 let's not do it that way. He's protecting the people. And just think about these these people of Israel and then think about ourselves. You know, they have been rescued from Egypt. They were slaves in captivity and God has rescued them. It's like a picture of when it talks in the New Testament about how we've been saved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They've been set free from their captivity. We've been set free from the power of sin. They were saved from death. God's like, if I get too close to them, I'm going to kill them. And Moses intervenes and intercedes so that they can travel together. Just like we've been saved from the wages of sin. But we still see that even though God has saved them, from captivity although Moses interceded and they're not going to be killed for their sins they're still missing out on God's presence it's the story of so many Christian lives that we can get saved and you are saved you, you know like you've got your ticket to heaven you're saved your sins are forgiven and the punishment of death was taken upon Christ and you get to live in freedom that's the story of the children of Israel and it can be our story tragically too many Christians miss out on the presence of God Miss out on experience that real inhabiting God's presence to be... I know Dave Curtis used to like Godfrey Burt. He used to have this song about glory carriers. It would be a glory carrier that we would carry the glory of God on us. And we we get two pointers for what the challenge was for them. And we need to think about what it means for us. But one thing was their sin. God says, I'm going to kill them because they're stubborn and rebellious people. And we need to recognize that Jesus paid the price for our sin. So you're free from the punishment of sin. But I can't get away from the fact in my life, and you've probably experienced in your life as well, that our sin gets in the way of enjoying the presence of God. That's a reality. It's like we've been set free from the punishment. We've been set free from the shame and from the condemnation. But you find that those who get to experience the intimacy and the presence of God are those who are really walking their lives in a right way. And so if you've got a hunger and a thirst for this, it's like, I don't know what that bloke's on about at the front. I want this presence of God. One of the things is addressing our sin. And, you know, the great thing about the Word of God, especially in the New Covenant for us, is it's really clear. It's like, you know, if you confess our sins, he's just able to forgive us for all righteousness. Jesus made a way. You know, I didn't know I was going to have that prophecy this morning about someone feeling that God can't use them. You know, there isn't a single sin that can stand in the way. But God gives this process of repentance, of coming before him, of submitting our lives before him and saying, Lord, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And so I want to say, you know, none of us are going to live a sin-free life, but we can live a life where our sin is submitted to God and it's repented and we receive the forgiveness of God. And sometimes even in that moment, that's where people experience the presence of God. Just the overwhelming forgiveness of God. They experience God's presence as he wraps his arm around them. The sin doesn't have to be a barrier, but it does if we let it get in the way. Do you know what I mean? We, we, we're not going to not sin. 1 John talks about that. Talks about, you know, It talks about you know, if we confess our sins. It says you know, we wish we didn't all sin, but we do. And he's provided a way. And so I'm not talking about living this perfect life. But our unresolved sin is a barrier to God's presence, just like it was for the people. And the second thing he seems to highlight is what I would call the daily habit. We read a very different story between the people and between Moses and Joshua. We read that whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand in the entrances of their own tent, and they'd watch Moses. <laughs> it's like God goes, uh, sorry, Moses goes to have this daily meeting with God, and everyone comes out of their tent and watches. It's like there's a tent of meeting where God is, where if they dealt with their rebellion and their stubbornness, they could experience that with God, but no, they're watching. And, uh, you know, uh, this is like a broken record. It's probably a broken record for every preacher for the last 2,000 years. It will still continue to be. Daily time with God is like, it's the essential ingredient. Don't, Don't be a watcher of Moses going into the tent. You see this picture of Moses getting time with God every day and there's a whole bunch of people just watching it from the sidelines. And I love, actually, I love reading on Facebook. um, It's a great way a lot of people share a scripture they read or uh, a quiet time they had or maybe um, a Bible resource they had and what have you. But, you know, if you're not doing that for yourself, you're just a watcher in your tent going, wow, look at that person have time with God. And and the, the challenge of the people of Israel is they could have had a daily moment with God. But instead, they're daily watching. Moses have a daily moment with God going, go on, you do it, Moses. Go on, you can you can you speak to God for us? It would talk about if they had anything they need, they'd go to the tent of meeting. It doesn't say about them going into the tent of meeting. So they're using Moses like Moses. Can you go talk to God about this? Can you solve this for us? And and the invitation, especially as new covenant people for who we are, is that we boldly approach the throne of grace. That's what it talks about in Hebrews, that we would boldly approach. I want to tell you, just a little bypass alley. If you want to read a very short and inspiring and challenging book, I recommend to you a book called The Practice of the Presence of God by a man called Brother Lawrence. You can buy it on Amazon for three quid, right? How fair is that? I'm not a salesman for Amazon. I'm sure you can buy it elsewhere, right? But I'm just, right? You know, don't let that stand in the way. I'll buy it for you if you want to read it, right? Three quid. This book really changed my perspective on the presence of God. Uh, I'm not going to take too much time, but this is a story of a man who is physically a bunch of disabilities, mental disabilities, working in a kitchen, doing the lowliest of work in, in in a monastery. And it's just him talking about how he experiences the presence of God in doing the washing up and doing the sweeping, and just God's presence. The book was called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And it flipped my perspective. And I've had times now where I'm like doing housework or the washing up or whatever, and I'm like, God can be with me in this moment, and I've experienced, you know, so so when we talk about the presence of God, I'm not just meaning these like amazing moments where you're on your knees and you're speaking in tongues for hours. And you know, this book really changed my perspective on the fact that God is all around us and he wants to reveal his presence in every moment of our lives. And so we've got Moses who shows us there's an essentialness to the presence of God. We've got the people who show us that you can miss out on it despite being God's chosen people and being rescued and set free. And the third thing I want to bring out is, 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 and I want to make it personal to us, that it's time for us to yearn for more of God's presence. It's fascinating. Moses gets every day to go into the tent of meeting. He gets to go up to the mountaintop and receive the Ten Commandments written on tablets of stone. And still he's cheeky enough to say, show me your glory, God. So he says in verse 17, he says, The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed what you've asked, do what you've asked, for I look favorably at, on you and know you by name. That's God's response to Moses saying, Can you come with us? And then Moses ups the ante and goes a bit more. He says, Moses responded, Then show me your glorious presence. This man is so bold and so cheeky. You know, you may have experienced Glorious moments of of presence with God or not, but we need to yearn for that, to yearn and long for that presence of God, for what the the New Living Translation calls the glorious presence. We sang that song, was it last week? I think it was last week, maybe a couple of weeks ago. I think the words are really true. The more I seek you, the more I find you. And the more I find you, the more I love you. I posted on Facebook uh, a couple of weeks ago now uh, uh, a a post that Pete Gregg provided. I have a lot of time and and respect for Pete Gregg. If you don't know him, he's just a bloke, right? But I think he says a lot of wise stuff. And he definitely is big into prayer. So Pete Gregg started the 24-7 prayer movement. So, you know, I very much, I want to become a, 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 I don't know if it's the right word to say a better prayer, but I want to be a person who's a person of prayer more and more. And so he's got a lot of wisdom. And he posted this article on uh, on Facebook that then I reposted, a number of people did. And he was using the title of the U2 song, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And he was saying in this about the fact that there is a danger in the church at the moment, the, the global church, all the big churches, that we present an image that's like every time you go into your prayer closet, a cloud appears, an angel starts singing, and we experience this glorious presence of God. And therefore, when you think everyone else is having that, you're like, well, I sat down and I read the Bible and I fell asleep in the middle of it. And then I woke up and thought, what am I doing? Right? You know, and you're like, oh man, I missed that. And he, he, Pete Gregg's point was like, we don't experience the glory cloud every day. Even in our church gatherings, we don't experience that. Sometimes it's a nap week. Sometimes it's a tough week. Sometimes we're in a tough space. You know, we don't have it every day. And this is why I picked on this line I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But, What we're meant to have is the yearning and the longing for that every day. The hunger and the thirst. that, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you, God. And so my encouragement for us is that we recognise that it's a rare thing to really experience the overwhelming presence of God. And the more you do, the better. I love it, right? But I don't experience it every time. I, I, I get on my knees most mornings, I'd love to say every day, but pretty much maybe six out of seven days of the week I'm pretty good at, buy what was Nick's bed and spend some time with God. And sometimes it's just hard work. And sometimes I feel revelation. And sometimes I feel God's presence and sometimes I feel nothing. But I'm still looking for it. I'm still yearning for it, and hungering for it. And I want to encourage us that we are a people that it's time to yearn for more of God's presence. And just like this morning where we were saying, Lord, speak from listening. Sometimes it's about the fact that God's presence is there and we don't see it. I'm reminded of the story of Elisha with his servant when the army comes to to capture them and he speaks, he says, Lord, open his eyes that you might see. And his servant's eyes get opened spiritually and he sees all the chariots and the horses and the army of God there. And God moving in that place. We sing that song, let us become more aware of your presence. That's become almost a mantra of mine. I'm like, God, you're in this place. Let me see it. Let me experience it. Lord, may I be open to it. Lord, don't let my sin get in the way. Lord, don't let my time management get in the way. I make time every day to get time with God, to nurture that, to practice the presence of God. And, you know, for us, again, as New Testament people, we, again, see this little kind of pointer in this as God speaks to Moses you know he speaks to this in these verse 21 and 22 he says look stand near me on this rock it's fascinating he says I'm going to show you my presence then Moses you've asked for it you're not going to see it all but I'm going to give you more than you've seen before stand on this rock it's like this picture of the rock of ages of Christ, the rock on which we stand. You know, if you're going to experience this God showing him, it's got to be founded on Jesus. Right? We are New Testament people. We're not Jewish. We're Christians. We believe in Jesus. This presence of God is revealed. That's why what, that's what it says, in him all the fullness of God rests. Jesus is the complete revelation of God's presence. And, and it, what does he also say? He says, And I'll hide you in the crevice of the rock. So he's not only standing on the rock, he gets hidden in this gap. But again, I'm I'm listening to this going, this is like my life is hidden with Christ in God. We get hidden in Christ. He envelops us. We don't only stand on him, but he envelops us. You know, one of the greatest revelations of the presence of God, I think, that we read, particularly in the New Testament, is the day of Pentecost. You know, day of Pentecost, you've got these people praying in an upper room like God told them to and wait for the Spirit to come. And and they're praying and praying and praying and praying. And then they experience what we experienced on Friday. This tornado of wind, right, rattling all the windows and smashing them open. And just imagine it. They experience God's presence in that place. And tongues of fire appear and they start speaking in other languages. And they go out and there's 3,000 people and they get saved as Peter preaches to them. This is like this revelation. And what I think it shows, you know, that there's something, this presence of God is not just like, um, it's not like a scout badge, like a badge of honour, like, oh, we've got the presence of God. It's not just a revel in God's presence. It's because in God's presence, transformation takes place. You know, these people who were in the upper room were never the same after that. And I've seen lives changed. I've known moments, you know, parts of my life changed by the presence of God. That's why we need it. Because there are some things that you are called to work through in your life. You definitely are, right? There are things that are like a lifelong journey to get, you know, submitted to God and to work through. And that is life. And God does work that way. There are other things that get unlocked in a moment in God's presence. Character can completely be changed in God's presence in a moment. Chains can be broken in a moment in God's presence. For these people, Peter, you know, it's like reading two different men when you read Peter before the day of Pentecost and after. His life was completely transformed. This transformation takes place in the presence of God. And, it, you know, we get, we get also pointed to it to come. It says that, you know, when we die and Jesus returns, it says we will see him face to face and we'll be like him. It's amazing, isn't it? It's, just, it's almost like the more we see God's glory, the more we encounter Jesus, the more we see him, the more we are changed like him until ultimately in eternity we see him completely unveiled, completely face-to-face, and we'll be like him, and we're transformed. You know, when Moses was in God's presence, he was, he, his face shone. People were like, you put a veil over your face, Moses, because you've been in God's presence, I can see it. I don't know if I'm on the theological dodgy ground because I haven't really studied this, but it did occur to me, even Jesus, he's walking the earth amongst people. Some people doubted, some people didn't believe, some didn't follow him. And then he has a moment, what we call the transfiguration, where God's glory completely rests on him and he's completely transfigured. It's like even Jesus had this being present, omnipresent, or for Jesus, he walked, you know, in particular places. But then a special revelation of his presence, this transfiguration moment. There, there is these, this difference between just walking through life, knowing that God is there, and experiencing his presence. And, um, and so all I want to do for us is just, I suppose this morning was just about pointing us to that, encouraging us to that, building up an expectation of that, encouraging you to yearn for it. I, I, I would like us to sing a final song. Um, And then we're actually going to pray over Nina and Ossie after that. I want to uh, sing a final song. And I want you to use that to catalyze this sermon, to, to almost kind of hold it within yourself. And again, you know, you can sing along or you don't have to, but I just, I want us to let this take hold of your heart. Because it doesn't matter where you are on this journey. You know, if you're like Moses and you're having a daily encounter with God, then be like Moses and be cheeky and ask for more and yearn for more and long for more. If you're like the people who are watching Moses every day, then come before Jesus. Say, I'm sorry, Lord. Can I make some time with you every day? I want to get to know you more. I want you to reveal. There's a journey for all of us and all of it is in a direction. It's just getting closer and closer to Jesus. I thought I said about that on week one when we were back in the building, or maybe week two, I forget. I gave this example about, you know. do you remember I said, you know when we're a Christian, it's not about us crossing the line we've like crossed the line. It's about changing our direction. And that's what this is about. It's for all of us that go, we want to set our face upon Jesus and say, Lord, I want to get closer to you. Show me your glory. I need more of your presence. Without you in my life, God, none of this is going to work. I'm not going to make a difference to my family. I'm not going to make a difference to my community. I'm not going to make a difference in my workplace. I'm not going to solve the challenges in my life. Without your presence, you're the answer to all of it. You may have promised it. You may have set me free. But without your presence, I don't have the power To overcome this and how would anybody know that you're living in me if I don't have your presence so as we sing this last song allow that prayer to be in your heart you might sing it you might allow it through singing the words or it might be just you know through praying that but um I'm gonna ask the band if they can come back um and we're gonna um sing this final song